Hi, this is Rob Woods and welcome to episode 25 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference even during the coronavirus pandemic. Firstly, I hope that you're safe and well in spite of these uncertain times. And if you work as a digital fundraiser or if digital fundraising is one of the things you're responsible for and you'd like ideas and encouragement for what to do at the moment, then I really think you're gonna find today's episode helpful because I'm about to share with you an interview I carried out recently with Emily Casson, the award-winning digital marketing manager at Cats Protection. If you've already listened to episodes 15 and 16 of this podcast, you'll already know about her down-to-earth approach and about the phenomenal growth that she and her team have achieved with it in recent years. I was keen to talk to Emily again now, particularly because of the way her team has been responding to the new challenges and opportunities that the pandemic has brought. For instance, she's found that during this crisis, not only have most people spent a lot of time looking at their phone, many are as keen to support causes they care about as they ever have been. In this episode, Emily talks about a range of tactics, including Facebook advertising, email, and using Facebook Lives to engage and inspire. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Emily Casson, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for reappearing on the podcast. So regular listeners to the podcast will remember that uh, we had a fascinating chat a few months ago. And if the person listening now wants to check those out, those are on episodes 15 and episode 16. But for today, uh, you are Digital Marketing Manager at Cats Protection. You've won various awards for strategies and in particular the growth that Cats Protection has achieved through the digital channel in the last four years. I'm not going to go into all of that in depth, but just for today's listener to to know is you really know your stuff. And that's why I was desperate to talk to you now to help listeners who are curious about what they could or should be prioritizing to do with digital fundraising during the pandemic. Just before we get to that, uh, how's your home set up? Are you surviving okay with work, work and and home balance and so on? Yes, just about getting used to having my boyfriend's six-year-old twins around and also not travelling to London all the time, but surviving. Okay, so some pros and some cons, I guess, um, <laughs> as for many of us. And then if we're going to dive into it, there you are at Cats Protection. I gather you've been as busy as ever right now needing to respond and adjust strategy to what's happened since the pandemic hit in March. If you were to think of one, just get us started, what's a key priority for you in the last couple of months and that you think many charities should be looking at to really make sure they're responding to the digital channel? I think for us, Facebook advertising has been really big for us in the last couple of months. 
And we had quite a big programme before all this, but we found for April results are the best we've ever seen on digital. And I know that's often across the board in charities, that's not specific to tax protection, that we found quadruple the results we would have normally expected in April. And we think one of the reasons for that is everybody's on their phone. There's a fascinating report out around lockdown in China and how people were actually on their phone 7.3 hours a day, which is a staggering stat. And we think we're going to have similar stats over here. But what the really interesting thing we found is it's not just as more eyeballs on Facebook, but people are actually more responsive. People really want to give. And that's not necessarily something you would expect in the current climate, but people are really keen to donate. And we found we've got a lot of people coming for the first time donating that they might have liked the cause before, but they've been prompted by the current crisis to donate. And I think that's something all charities should be really looking at. You can do it on a really small scale, Facebook advertising. And also looking at the Facebook Donate side too, that Facebook's just launched a whole new insight section for Facebook Donate. So you can get more insights than ever before on who's donating to you, what all the kind of stats are around their demographics. And I think that Facebook is really coming to its own in the current climate when everybody in the world is on Facebook. Mm. And in March, those were presumably your existing assets your existing adverts that you had already used but in March you noticed people were so much more responsive and did the quadrupling just happen with the existing strategy or were you noticing uh, there was extra interest and therefore you were responding and investing more or what did you do differently? Well I think we noticed there was a lot of extra interest and also the costs are really low on Facebook because a lot of the normal advertisers or the shops and things are obviously not advertising. So it's a combination of the cost being a lot lower, a lot more people being on Facebook and the people being more responsive. And we increased our spend massively because we had a lot of money that we could redeploy from face to face because obviously that stopped. And we also introduced some new Facebook advert quite quickly We did do an emergency appeal, but we also did some stuff around our education messaging. We've got a lovely set of education resources for people homeschooling their kids at home. So we actually did that as a lead generation campaign on Facebook that went down fantastically well. And we got over a thousand people signing up in the first day. So that's really done well for us. And I think that the charities are making a success of Facebook are actually thinking about what do the audience want? What has changed in their lives? How can you give added value to them rather than just serving the same adverts on a bigger scale? So just to help me understand, when you say, say lead generation, is that people signing up at a very low level, uh, but it's a, you know, you're looking to build a relationship for the long term? Or is that people signing up, giving no money at all, but you're offering something that's useful to them in their current situation, like helping with homeschooling, and why would they not uh, receive that and make use of it? And in so doing, they get to, to know your cause and your brand. And in due course, you can retarget or offer them something else. Yeah, it's signing, up, it's signing up to an email journey where you get the weekly emails with the education resources and some nice little videos and things. And it's completely free. And the model we use on a lot of our lead generation is an email journey. And we've got another one on cat behavioural series 
and then you get to know the charity, you get to understand the value, and then normally kind of six to nine months down the line, you would then look to target them with a financial ask. So it's not a quick win, it's not an easy thing, but I think in the current climate, there are some people that can give and aren't commuting things, so have a bit more disposable income, but there are also some people that can't give at the minute and don't necessarily want to be asked, particularly not a hard ask. So it's what can you do as a charity to give them added value? And then in return, when they're in a different financial position, they're likely to go on and support you once they've understood the great work of the charity. Fantastic. So a key business principle I've been seeing advised in many places right now is how can you add more value? Now is not necessarily the time to be making greater income for your charity or, or indeed for a business. But if you, could, if you can be the charity that is genuinely meet, meeting a need, helping people out right now, if that's what you do, then for the medium and long term, that can only pay you back in due course. From the point of view of a smaller charity that maybe hasn't taken that approach before because it hasn't felt it's had the resources or the, the long-term strategy to be in the mindset of investing in, in something that doesn't yet pay back, what would your few tips be in, in getting started so that it, you know, it, it genuinely is something that meets a need rather than some, some gimmick that people take no interest in? And also any tips to, to make it in due course most likely to be a relationship that does pay you back as well? I will say think big, start small and scale quickly. So I'd start small. I would test it. So in our case, that we actually thought, okay, what is useful for parents? We will ask parents in the organisation, would they be interested in this? What kind of thing would they want? And I think every charity and a small charity can ask their supporters. And I think what small charities often have that advantage is they are much closer to their supporters. They can actually chat to them. And whether that is having something like a digital champions programme where you have guinea pigs and a group of people that actually volunteer to test your new initiatives, that's a great thing for valued supporters because they really feel that they are part of that cause. If you are asking for their advice and help at a very early stage before you then go on to develop something that isn't useful. And in terms of how you then nurture that relationship, I would say the mistake some charities make is they have a great welcome journey, even if it, that is one or two emails and then people kind of fall off the cliff. So it's actually mapping the journey for the people over a few months and accepting that the return might come in really early. There are some people that sign up and they're really warm to the cause and will donate straight away. There are some people, it's a much slower burn. And when you are doing your budgets and your targeting, you need to accept that and not think of it as a failure if you've not made the money back straight away. Yeah, and I guess there's just a, a bigger theme I'm sensing in your approach is, is that it is possible to bring in good donations now and acquisition yeah. clearly is working for you as well. But I'm sensing this theme that first and foremost, even and especially as a fundraiser, our position should be to care about our supporters and our donors and look, how, how, how can we communicate with them in a way that, you know, is meeting them at a time when they are likely to be more worried, more fearful, more alone, uh, more worried about health and economics in their lives. There's this overarching thing. If we start there, either just to add value or at least to acknowledge that in the way we communicate, even if we do then go on to make an ask for a donation, 
Do you want to speak, theme and how you've, how you've applied it in all of your tactics? Yeah, I think the tone is so important and actually remembering that your donor is actually human. And in the current crisis, some people are quite enjoying being at home, not commuting, spending time with the kids. Other people are in a completely different situation. So I think it's understanding that your supporters and even an individual, you might have conflicting views. And something that we found really interesting is it's changing week on week that we actually saw people being a lot more fearful when Boris made the announcement that things were going to start getting back to normal and start easing, that we found an interesting spike in that week that donations dipped slightly because people were starting to feel a bit more fretful, whereas before that, they'd kind of got used to the new normal a bit. And it does change. And I think it's so important to actually acknowledge that not just your supporters, but also your staff and your volunteers and everybody. It's a very strange situation. And the more human you can come across in your communications, acknowledging that, acknowledging that, a lot of people want to give, but being clear, don't feel at all guilty if you're not in the position to give. And I think one of the things a lot of charities could do is give people options. If you're not in a financial position to give, what can you do? So if that is sharing posts on social so it reaches a wide audience, signing up for emails or inviting friends to sign up for emails or volunteering, there's a lot of non-financial asks that can involve people in the charity without them making them feel guilty that they can't afford to donate. Yeah. And so does that approach across all the, the various channels you're doing, be it Facebook or email or on the website, the, in the last two months you've been more deliberate in making those other non-financial options easy and obvious? Yeah, I think definitely. And we did look at, at the start of this across all of the different creative we had running, all of the different email journeys, looked at, what we needed to change on a practical point of view, because obviously we're not delivering the same services we normally are. So we need to be careful on messaging, but also thinking, well, what's the tone of this? Like, does this jar a bit? Like, what do we want to change? So I think that's definitely an approach you can take for everything. Just be a bit more human. Fantastic. So Facebook is clearly an area you would recommend people look more closely at, and you've outlined several fairly simple things they could specifically look to apply if there was a, another key channel or priority that you've been looking at for the last couple of months what would it be i think email would be a big priority both in terms of signing new people up to your database like we just discussed around lead generation and also stewarding your warm supporters that we found email open rates have gone to the roof they're the kind of highest they've ever been because again everybody's at home very much pouncing on their emails all of the learnings and testing we've built up over years about the best time of day or best day of the week completely blown out the window when everybody's been at home. But people are really responsive. They want to get the emails. So I would say send more emails, but make them interesting, whether that's really short snippets, little videos, little things the charity are doing. People want to be involved. They're opening the emails, but they are being put off by if it's just a very long message from the CEO on a weekly basis, people have stopped reading that from the big companies, they're not interested. And I think that's something to be mindful for, that some people are deliberately switching off from the news and don't want to constantly be reminded they're in the middle of a pandemic. They want nice fluffy stuff. So we've been sending things like cute kitten videos that are best performing stuff ever. Well, 
have been keeping <laughs> videos. I mean, not exactly surprising given the cause, but we found that when we sent newsletters out with like practical updates on coronavirus, but also the more fluffy stuff, it's the fluffy stuff that people want. That that's something a lot of charities could replicate. That they want to know what is going on with the charity. They want to know on a practical level what services are and aren't running, but they also want good news stories. And I think that's something every charity could do, some sort of good news story in terms of what has gone well, something great a support has done for them or something going on great with their service delivery, or even some local charities have just been sending out really cute pictures that the kids in their services have drawn. And people are loving that because it's just something to make people smile. And I think when you're sending emails in the current climate, think not just about content, but also how is this going to make a supporter feel? Is it going to make them feel more positive to the cause? In some cases, yes, you want to prompt them to donate. Obviously, as a digital fundraiser, that's my job. But it's also thinking, okay, is this going to make them feel guilty? Because that's not what you want. Or is this going to make them feel warm and fluffy or really see the value in what their donations have been spent on? Yes, it was an amazing story and it's still running even just how the media and the public latched on to Captain Tom Moore's story. And I've been blogging about various reasons why I think that took off so greatly. But at the heart of it, it's a great, happy story that people enjoy listening to and and talking about. And clearly, lots of our listeners don't have cute kitten videos as an option for their cause but all of them, with a little creativity, can search deliberately for assets or stories or images or make simple films that help people feel good or feel proud about some, some victories, some progress, some, some um, times we're managing to do a good thing, especially in the face of the difficulties that people are facing. Yeah, I think that's definitely what people are wanting at the minute, that happy feeling, that good news story, And that's the sort of stuff that will be shared on social media, any cute little videos and things that people are putting out or little postcards or whatever you can do for your supporters to bring a bit of joy to their day. Like, yes, we want them to donate money, but they also remember how they feel about a charity. So if they are feeling positive, and I get that for a lot of charities, they are in dire situations at the minute. It's really important to get the donations in, but also remember that people want to still know where their donations are going and that they're making a difference and they want to feel that they are making a difference supporting you. Mm. So at its simplest, if they um, ask, you know, someone on the front line who's helping those children or, you know, doing the volunteer work to, to, you know, protect the environment even now, if, if they've got someone in their charity doing great stuff and they get that person to make a simple smartphone film or they interview them on a Zoom call or something and, and create that little one-minute, two-minute story and put a link in that to an email, do you have any tips for people who haven't taken that sort of rough-and-ready approach to, to using film? before um my view is now more than ever you know it's so much more interesting and and clickable and enjoyed by our supporters but practically speaking is there any tips you would give the listener who who hasn't done much of that before i think the top one would be don't be scared of doing it there's a lot of advice out there on the kind of practical setup for your smartphone and how to kind of position it 
But I think it would just be, don't be scared, that people love the rough and ready human side of a charity that we find on Facebook that people respond far better to that than they do to a nice studio shot, really professional like video or image, that that's what people are responding to. And I think I would also say, do it the other way. Ask your supporters to send stuff to you. That that's a great way to engage supporters, that check in with them, how are they feeling? or get them to decorate something like it's bladder cancer awareness month so everybody's doing butterflies that they're putting in windows and sending pictures of and things so it's little things like that that can engage people without a lot of time or effort because i know time's very precious at the minute for charities Mm. i know uh, some arts charities are doing really well inviting their audience to be part of the concert and to, to sing a part of the concert and then they, and then they mash it all up and put it together as this, the people's concert. And surprise, surprise, loads of people show up to listen because everyone who's in it told all their friends and family to listen to the yeah. concert. Uh, and I know, you know, there's an environmental charity that's had amazing results, actually not digital, but just writing letters to 400 people who had taken part in these environmental expeditions in the past and asking them, we want to hear your story. Would you join me on a Zoom call to share your story? And more than 50 people, you know, that's one in 10 from that, that letter to people that hadn't heard from the charity in a long time, one in 10 people have come forward and wanted that Zoom chat because they want their, to share their story. And my sense is that those results are stronger now than they would have been when people weren't stuck at home. Yeah, I think definitely there are a lot of people stuck at home that have a lot more time on their hands. They're a lot more responsive to things and they want to get engaged. Like you said, they want to share their stories. They might, well, have always wanted to share their stories and just not had the time before, whereas now's the time to actually invite them to those Zoom sessions or other charities I know we're doing like drop-ins with their trustees. So actually doing like meet the trustees, which on a normal circumstance, you might not be able to do, you might never be able to attend an open evening, but something we've been doing at CATS is like virtual tours of the centres. And I know other charities are doing the same. And there's tens of thousands of people watching them, just a really quick and simple Facebook Live, somebody going around the empty centre, showing the CATS that we've still got there, that people are really engaged in that. And a lot of these people would have never actually physically got to the centre, they might not live near it, but because of digital it's massively increasing the reach and that's a great one that charities can do if there is anybody about delivering services they can do videos explaining it and that doesn't put a lot of extra work on the charity but a simple facebook live goes down really well with the audience yes uh, i know that gurkha welfare trust had amazing results from there first Facebook Live uh, delivered by uh, one of their colleagues out in Nepal and just something like 52,000 people in in hardly any time have watched that Facebook Live and just reams and reams of positive comments coming into the, the, to the chat box there. And my question, I guess, is if there's a charity listening and they haven't done a Facebook Live before, uh, you know, clearly they might want to do a little, go and do a little bit more research if, if they're interested. But from your, what would your top tips be if uh, there's a listener out there considering bringing their cause to life through a Facebook Live 
I think I was thinking about how you can make it engaging that somebody just going around with a camera without speaking might not be as engaging as somebody being interactive. I think the great thing about Facebook Live is people can do comments in real time. So it's a great one to do Q&A sessions and really involve the audiences in it. And I'd also say add a donate button in that we've seen great success on nothing to do with fundraising things like vets doing Q&As or the education team doing Facebook Lives, but people want to donate on a relatively small scale, but I think do involve that. And I think think about all the different areas of your charity outside of fundraising in your sort of service delivery. What would actually be really interesting? Is that a nurse speaking about their experience? Is it some of your volunteers talking about what they've been up to delivering food parcels? what would really engage people and one of the top tips would be think about how you can engage the audience think about how you can do more of an interactive format rather than just somebody doing a pre-record or something to an audience because that's the beauty of Facebook live that people can like it in real time you can see what's going down well you can answer questions you can really engage people And I get that it's scary for people that have not necessarily done it before, but I would say do a test internally with a few people you know before you go on a large scale. Think about how it's going to work because you don't want to like start out thinking it's going to be an hour and then half an hour through realize you've used up all the content and you're just wandering around. But I think it's that human element that people are loving. Like at CATS, we've been having weekly webinars with the CEO and the best one was when somebody asked him can you go find the kittens that they are fostering at the minute and accidentally did a tour of the whole house finding the kittens and I think that's the kind of silly thing that people read like that human side that people are really responding to and that's not always the side they get to see from charities they often get the very polished side where everything's been storyboarded and scripted to death Whereas actually that rough and ready stuff, people really like that. They like knowing the humans behind the charity. Yeah, I saw the same thing uh, in the, the the one I mentioned before, the GoCo Welfare Trust did. It, it, it wasn't all slick, but it, I think one thing about it is it, it does show vulnerability and courage on the, the part of the person doing it and, and also by implication the charity and people so respect and like that quality. It's such a valuable quality in our lives and, and people res- respond to it. Yeah, I think people are often scared of not being seen as professional, whereas I think you can still be professional and respected as a charity while also having that human side. And I think everybody knows in the current climate, it's not normal circumstances. They're not expecting anything to be professionally sharp. They just want to know what's going on and be engaged. And in some cases, just have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. And one other thing that occurs to me with Facebook Live, though I'm not an expert, is that it it carries on being useful, interesting content long after it was live. Yeah, I think that's what we see. It's like you were saying with the choir example, that people like telling their friends about stuff and sharing it so if there's a really interesting thing somebody's seen they will share it they'll tag a friend in and be like oh have you seen this video and you can watch it back you don't get that same interaction but I think it's still really valuable because you've all of a sudden got this whole bank of content 
that you might do a different one every week. You might do like a tour of your services one week or put a spotlight on a different member of the team every week. And then you can have all that content that you can kind of reuse and play back. And for your charity, once those exist, do you proactively reshare them on social media or through other means? Or do you just let it organically, you know, do its thing because people are doing what you just said? I think we do a lot of it organically, but we would say like it's mental health awareness week. We would then look at, okay, what content have we done in the past that we could use for that? And I think that we do definitely reuse some of it, particularly the education content that doesn't ever go out of date. It's always interesting that people might have missed it first time round. We can share it again. Emily, thank you so much for all of your time today. Thank you for all of your ideas. I know you're as busy as ever, both for Cats Protection and these various other charities that you help out in a pro bono way. I'm going to let you get away, but for now, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope it's been really useful. Well, I hope you found Emily's ideas helpful. If you're part of the Bright Spot Members Club, you'll be able to see the full interview with Emily on the site. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk And if you liked this episode, please do subscribe today so that you don't miss out on all the other episodes that we've got planned. Also, if you think this session would help your wider team or your friends in other charities, I'd be very grateful if you could share it so that these ideas help as many charities as possible to get through this crisis. To get in touch or share this episode on social media, Emily and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Emily is at Emily Casson with a capital E for Emily and a capital C for Casson. And I am at Woods underscore Rob. We'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like more ideas to help you succeed during the pandemic, then I'd love for you to make use of my new ebook, Power Through the Pandemic, which gives seven key strategies to help you raise money, even now through major donors, corporates and trusts. You can download it for free from brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate the effort and time it takes to keep learning with everything else that's going on. And I hope that the episode gave you some ideas and some encouragement. Until the next time, stay safe and best of luck with your fundraising. Fundraising.